Audi. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand and I'm overly excited about sharing the next guest with you, not only because she was brilliant and we got on really well, but also because I went to London. You remember that big place in the uh, the capital position of the UK? Um, I went to London to interview her just after lockdown eased, the second lockdown, uh, on the first day actually, and I went to the Natural History Museum and it was still closed to the public, so I got a little tour around the place and we went to a little room and then we did photos in the main hall underneath the big skeleton of the whale and it was just amazing to be in London amazing to be in the Natural History Museum and I have to say just wonderful it's been great during lockdown to be able to and you know the whole Covid crisis not just lockdown but other times when we've had a lot of freedom more freedom comparatively it's been great doing Zoom interviews but there's nothing I love more than actually sitting face to face with one of my guests and you're going to hopefully love I know you're going to love this uh, this episode as, as much as I do so without further ado Ella Al-Shamahi is an archaeologist, explorer and stand-up comic who's been described as the real-life Lara Croft. She travels the world exploring some of the most dangerous and remote regions. On this episode, Ella talks about her Channel 4 show, Jungle Mystery Lost Kingdoms of the Amazon, growing up in a conservative Yemeni community in Birmingham, getting herself into scrapes of terrorists, stolen DNA and its connection to Australian Aborigines, remote tribes driving big expensive cars, animals with charisma in Tanzania, attractive hunters in the Swiss Alps, and so much more. All recorded in London's Natural History Museum too, it's Ella Al-Shamahi. As an adventurer, I thought a very a good place to start as an archaeologist and a, an adventurer um, would be your childhood, because you grew up as a from a, in a Yemeni family in yeah. Birmingham. Now that's an adventure in itself, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure the Yemeni community would love me to say that. <laughs> um, Is there a big Yemeni community? Yeah, there's actually quite a large community out there. Out there, it's out there in Birmingham. Birmingham yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's. I, I mean, it's. You know, like any community, I guess it's it's kind of it's a complex community. There's pros and cons, but it's really interesting because it's a very very tight community, which I love, right? Uh, but it is quite conservative, um, and so girls weren't really supposed to go out after dark. You know, it's like these things that you'd be told, like, oh, good girls don't go out after dark. Good girls certainly don't go on adventures in the middle of jungles. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but one of the nice things I think is, um, I guess now that I've done it. I've seen a hell of a lot of that community kind of be like, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that don't like it, but um, they haven't let me know, so that's good. <laughs> so how did it all start? I mean, you are, you know, you are from, like you said, a quite a conservative yeah. community, yeah. and you've ended up having this in, incredibly brave and adventurous career. How did, how did it all come about? Huh. I don't really know. I think, to be fair, as much as it's it's quite a conservative community, it's also a community that's really used to, sadly, um, playing with the, the strange dichotomy that's Yemen. Does that make sense? Like, Yemen, for those of your listeners who don't know it, is it's kind of... It used to be, like, 10, 20 years ago, on the off-the-beaten-track lists a lot because it's absolutely stunning... But it's it's a lot of work, you know. <laughs> like it, it is um, the landscape out there is exceptional. You have these incredible mountain ranges, pristine beaches with endangered turtles, and then you've got all this architecture, this ancient architecture. I mean, there's even a place there that's called the Manhattan of the Desert. You know, it's it's absolutely stunning, but it's 
you know, there's kidnapping risks, there's guns everywhere, there's landmines. It's, you know, it's a difficult place. Um, and so I think I was always used to the idea of, oh, this beautiful place that's part of my family narrative, but also, oh, there's instability. So even though I was a girl and, you know, wasn't supposed to, like, you know, go out after dark and, you know, go swimming, you know, with men and all the rest of it, um, there were still parts of that background that really kind of played to who I am today. And then I guess I just, I don't know, you know, um, there gets to a point, I think, with most girls, if you see all the boys doing something, you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Absolutely, you know? I can do that. And how were your parents about that? Um, I think, I, I mean, I don't know. I, there's definitely things today that they agree with and there's definitely things today that they disagree with. Um, you know, I, I think they'd, they'd like me to cover up a little bit more. <laughs> Um, but you know I think also they are just really it's quite cute because I think they're really proud of me but would like me to cover up a bit more (laughs) you've been called the Lara the real life Lara Croft and you know I've looked at some of your outfits as you're trekking through the Amazon and everything and they're they're not like your tight little shorts you've just got a little vest top on and some perfectly sensible so it's it's actually it's it's really funny because you do think about clothing quite a bit for telly and stuff and um, I had always dressed quite you know, long sleeves, you know, quite kind of conservatively, I thought, um, to the extent that some of my mates would send me messages being like, mate, what? like, <laughs> why are you so covered? Um, and it was partly because I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to be taken seriously. I'm a woman. I don't want to be. And then with the whole, with the last two shows that I did, which one of which was in Tanzania and one of which is in the Amazon, I kind of had these really long discussions with people. And one of them was like, if I was normally in these places without cameras, I would be in string vests, not even tank top, like string. Because that's how I, like in really, really hot places that aren't really conservative, that's how I would dress. And I was just like, I think, I think we just go for it, right? <laughs> I think just there's a point when you you just don't know what the right thing to do is. And you just think, you know. And to be fair, you couldn't, you couldn't wear shorts in the jungle. You'd get eaten. I mean, I was... My arms were eaten alive. I think by the time I finished, it was like 50 or 60 bites on, on my arms. Uh, I mean, maybe it was, at least it was horrible. That's, travel is like that, though, isn't it? You have to think about what you're, you're wearing. And obviously, if you're going for like a week on the Costa del Sol, you don't necessarily have to. But if you're you know, going to a, a more conservative country or you might be visiting a mosque, you know, you might, you've got to wear things below the knee. You've got to take long sleeve tops. You, and the people who don't, I remember one time I ended up in the, um, well, I was just in the Maldives, actually, so in a beach resort. But um, they took us to a, an island for the day and I didn't know we were going to go to this island. And of course, it's a, you know, a, you know very strictly religious country Uh, and um a muslim country and you were in your maldives bikini being like oh hold on the wrong is not i thought we were going diving so i literally was in a bikini and um and and i turned up there thinking like feeling like i'm one of these people that hasn't hasn't done their research but it's that's not true i am the person that would do their research but i didn't know we were stopping off at the village i felt like a right idiot i mean the thing is we're all gonna we're all gonna do that and there's you know there's been time i mean you know there's been times when i've been like oh hold on a second i'm feeling a bit uncomfortable i think i actually might need to cover my head at this point or you know you just don't always get it right um but i think it's just being aware of it all and trying to Whereas, you know, sometimes you see people and you're like, not only are you completely standing out, you're a kidnapping risk. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Well, you are. You're going into these incredibly, sometimes dangerous places. You've you've been to all the far-flung corners Mm. of of the globe. I mean, has there been times where you felt at risk? Um, Yeah, but also, like, not... It's it's interesting. 
So people always say this to me. People always ask, oh, what's the most dangerous, whatever. And and I give so many different answers because it kind of depends on the time of day. And, and that sounds really weird, but it's because I've, I think I've been quite lucky in that the most dangerous stuff hasn't happened to me. Um, but um, And the other stuff at times felt nerve, nerve-wracking, at times didn't feel nerve-wracking, if that makes sense. And I think... I think it's interesting. When I talk to people that travel a lot, in, especially in places like that, I think they kind of know what I mean, which is that unless you actually get kidnapped um, or you're actually held at proper gunpoint, sometimes a bunch of guys around you with guns feels nerve-wracking and sometimes it just doesn't. And sometimes when you reflect back on it, you're like, oh, that was proper hairy. And other times you're like, oh, that was funny. Oh. <laughs> Remember Ibrahim? Oh. <laughs> It's funny because I get so many questions. I have to kind of like really kind of go, oh, you know what? But um, I mean, you know, there's definitely been times where there's been, you know, people have looked at you way too long and they've had way, way too many uh, AKs on them. Um, but I think mostly you just try to not even get into those situations in the first place so mostly it's about kind of having this is going to sound really obvious but having a really good team that knows how to blend in when to get angry when to not get angry and maybe don't get angry that much and um you know that local knowledge is brilliant like local fixers who are often journalists so you know they're often like really impressive professionals um making sure that uh, you've got one of them that at least it's really good on the team so you're just avoiding like <clears throat> one of the basic things we do is we look at a map and we identify which which tribes will be hostile on that map and we identify which um uh, terrorist groups operating which parts of the map and then we look at the team and we look at like it's really kind of a bit awkward actually because it's like what are your surnames will they be a problem for any parts of this map also what do you look like do you look like one of the tribes that's gonna like <laughs> do you know what like, and it's all this stuff that we go through so that we just try to not find ourselves in the worst situation and touch wood so far it hasn't happened where it's you know an actual crazy situation but um yeah, I mean, you know, I think maybe if I had kids, I'd, I'd reflect slightly differently. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess because I'm single in the in the childhood sense and, and gung ho, it's there's a different attitude to it. I think may, maybe I'm sitting here thinking that maybe danger is a bit of an abstract concept until you're actually in it. I can only liken it to, to when I used to ask my nan about stories of the war when they were yeah. living in their nice little house on the Wirral and being bombed, you know, in like your semi-detached house in the great swathes of UK that have um, that sort of, you know, Victorian housing. And they were being they were being bombed. And she just said, well, you just get on with it. And if you look at us now, you know, we, we were talking about like, you know, you've had your worst scrapes in London, really. Yeah, we were yeah, chatting yeah. before before we started recording. And uh, we're, we're sitting here in the middle of global pandemic. This is the first yeah. day that both of us have been out in yeah. a, um, after a month of a lockdown. Yeah. We're out. The shops are open today for the first yeah. time. We're sitting here in the Natural History Museum, which is quite exciting because it's closed to the public. It's actually opening tomorrow. Yeah. And maybe our kids or the younger generation will say to us, well, what was it like in the global pandemic? I hope they will. And it's like a thing <laughs> of the past, not like, God, what was it like at the beginning of the global pandemic all those years ago? <laughs> but then we'll just say, well, actually, we just got on with it, didn't we? Just get yeah, on with it. And I think that is 100% it. I think when we 
so my nana's a scouser and she's exactly the same she's got these wartime stories and you sit there sometimes and you're like that sounds traumatizing but she's just like sits there barrel laughing about it all and you're like oh okay um and i think i think people will look at covid hopefully you're right hopefully it's not the 100 year like you know the 100 year war like the 100 year pandemic, pandemic yeah. jesus um but um yeah hopefully they'll they'll start reflecting back on it and they'll be like oh what was it like blah 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 and i think a lot of the time i think the, the headline i guess for me is you know what my cousins family friends colleagues work and live in some of these war zones and you know what they go to university they have kids they have weddings proper weddings like massive things they get on with their lives and yes they are used to bombs being dropped yes they are used to that instability um that's all around them and they just kind of they do manage it it doesn't mean that they don't have a hard time with it obviously and i think so i think for me i'm just like oh you know i've been lucky i haven't the worst hasn't happened and um and i just try and avoid it so Yemen is just a, I mean, I, I see it's almost, I am a mum and, you know, and I do have kids and I, I see these adverts, I guess, for want of a better, a better word for them, of, of what's going on in, um, in Yemen at the moment. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. It must be, you know, tenfold for you, yeah. knowing that that's your, you know, where your family are from. It's really, it's really, uh, it's a really, really difficult one. And like, I mean... So when the war started, the war's been going on for about six years now. When the war started, it was bad and I took it really badly. And, you know, I'm stand-up, so I remember there being a period of a few weeks, maybe months, I can't actually remember how long, where I just, I hated the idea of getting on stage to make people laugh. And it's going to sound really weird. I don't think I've said this out loud um, to kind of, uh, to, to anyone other than close friends, really. But it was like, I, I was sitting there going, I don't want you to fucking laugh. I want you to be in pain with me right now. And then it kind of like numbed and I kept saying to myself, dude, you need to compartmentalize this. Cause I mean, the work that I do generally, like I often see a lot of pain and I've just learned to compartmentalize it. And that's how I get on with my work, right? Cause otherwise I'd just, I'd be no good to anyone, including, you know, myself and, and, um, and the work that I'm trying to do. And, but I just, cause it was my own family. I couldn't compartmentalize it. It took ages for me to compartmentalize it. And then I compartmentalized it. But every so often it seeps out. And so um, COVID hit Yemen really badly a few months back. Like, I mean, it just literally just went through the population. And it's got to the point where I actually can't tell you how many people in my circle have died. Like, that's how many. Like, it's horrible. Um, and and it was just something else. And, and it, moments like that, it just overwhelms. It just flows. And you just, you just, and, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> you know I'm fine it's my poor cousins that are like you know depressed out of their minds some of them I mean some of them are doing better but you know some of them just aren't handling it very well at all and you expect them to you know but it's, uh, yeah it's the world's worst humanitarian crisis um, according to the UN and it gets so little coverage it's, it's so sad it is sad I mean I've seen it's the videos of the children because the children are under five you know, a massive proportion of them are, are starving, you know, they're starving. Yeah, and the problem is if you've got kids under five, I think, I can't remember the figure, I think it was something like um, young children, one in five of them, they're saying, the UN is saying, uh, they expect them to have a permanent mental or physical ailment. Because, you know, if, if they're hit when they're that young, it's hard, it's not like, you know, if we get hit, it's kind of like hopefully we can just about recover, but it actually stunts growth. It's, I mean, it's so, so sad. And I think... 
it's really hard. I, I get it in some ways. It's really hard for people kind of in England to, or in Britain or, or the kind of, I don't know, Europe generally to to care about somewhere which is so far, which they've never visited, they don't have a connection with. I get that. But it's still, oh, it's still like, it's, it is the world's worst humanitarian crisis. <laughs> How is it getting so little attention? And have you been? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I used to go regularly. Um, I had one or two projects there. Um, I can't go to certain places in the mainland because of my surname. <laughs> um, uh, so my dad's currently in exile. Um, but um, other parts of the country I can go to, it's very, very high risk. Um, and I actually do have a project on the island of Socotra, which if... Uh, I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners will. You're going to talk about the influencer, aren't you? Oh no, I wasn't. I, are we not? Because I did a little <laughs> bit of online stalking about you last night, and you were really yeah. passionate about this. There was an influencer that's been living there during the, the times of COVID, and mm. um, sort of, you know, people have been worried about her spreading her germs to the local. Yeah, population. so I think, like, I think, I think a travel influencer. I should yeah, think. I think it's like a, it. If we use it as a teachable moment, because that's maybe the best way of kind of going forward on that. It's kind of like. Um, I've actually had people go to say to me recently, oh, I can't wait until, uh, you know, like the flights are starting up again. We're going to be going to blah, blah, blah place. And I'm like, OK, just take a deep breath for a second. Do you think that location is the best location for you to be going to? Because that is a really deprived community. Um, they they barely have any ICU beds. And there's a real risk that you or somebody on your flight might bring in COVID. So maybe don't go to that place. <laughs> you know, like if you want to go somewhere, maybe go to I don't know Spain or like you know, like keep keep to places which where you know. I mean, I had this problem. I was like, where am I going to go? I'm losing. I don't know how you're coping, but I was like, I'm losing my mind. I've never been in one place for so long, and for it to be London, and I love London, but it's a bit. It's, it's, there's no nature, you know. Um, and I was debating so many places. In the end, I ended up in um, in the Swiss Alps. And um, part of my justification for it was it's the Swiss Alps. It's one of the richest countries on the planet. <laughs> I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to like you know make sure I'm self isolating once I arrive uh, for like you know however long and like masking and blah blah. blah. But yeah, it's it's like and I think that's just really important for all of us in the travel world to just be thinking. All right, now that COVID's very much part of our landscape. If we go to places, you know, we we probably should think three times before turning up to an indigenous area. It's not the time to go somewhere remote, is it? Just not for our own health, which exactly. obviously counts, but for other people there who will need that hospital bed if we are yeah, taking. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it's really it's really difficult for some people to understand that. I think sadly, some people in our world, it's you know, because it, it, it's our life. This is our job, right? This is how we make our living, and for for us to be, and so a lot of us are just thinking, oh, but we'll be fine. We don't care if we get a little it's bit of a flu. You, is exactly. it? Yeah, it's, it's like it's back us. to the vaccine, really. It's not yeah. necessarily about you, but that's a whole other yeah. kind of worms. And as an interviewer, I'm sitting here thinking, there's so many things I want to pull out of your conversation. I, I wanted to I want to ask like, you your things. Nan, <laughs> your nan from Liverpool, and then your, your stand-up stuff, because you are an archaeologist and adventurer and a stand-up comedian. But I want, I, I need to get on yeah. to your... Well, the two you've got two really prominent TV shows out at the moment, one on Channel 4 and one, yeah. on, one on the BBC. Um, so let's start about the, the Amazon adventure for Channel 4. I mean, that yeah. sounds incredible. You went viral recently with one of your discoveries. Tell us, well, where do you start with it's that? It's so cool. So first of all, I have to say I am so chuffed that Channel 4 did that and, and, and gave me that um, opportunity because... 
you know, it's a real struggle to see women in those roles. And and bless, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with our male adventurers and our male explorers. Um, bless them. Yeah, do you know what? No, genuinely. With their nice little private school education <laughs> and white privilege. Oh. No, I'm, no, I'm taking the piss. No, I, I like, you know, I have them on the Some podcast Some of them are mates, so... Yeah, no, no. Um, no, I... It's not their fault they've grown up privileged. I mean, yeah, we've all got privileges. Exactly. I mean, well, not everyone, to be fair. <laughs> I say that and I'm, like, very middle class, you know. Um, no, but I think um, I think my point is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the boys, um, but there's also nothing wrong with the girls. And we know, you and I know, there's a hell of a lot of women that do this. And yet, for some reason, you ask... A, you know, Joe Bloggs. If we, if we were to go out into um, uh, out into the NHS and Natural History Museum and, and ask Joe Bloggs, you know, can you name a single female adventurer on British or American telly? Good luck if they can name anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so f- so that's kind of first of all, I'm just like just the fact that that Thanks, happened is Bob. awesome. Um, but and the, the show, tell us the, the name of the show. show. So the show is called Jungle Mystery: uh, Lost uh, Kingdoms of the Amazon. I would like to say I did not pick that title. <laughs> I love that title because it sounds like a comic book. Anyway, um, but no, basically it's this crazy thing. So we all thought of the Amazon being this pristine wilderness, basically, with just a few isolated tribes. That's always kind of the way we thought about it. But um, some of the early, early explorers of that region said that there were these massive, like, urban environments. There were loads of indigenous people. And because the next explorers that turned up, or outsiders that turned up, were like, well, this, this, we don't see any of this, everyone kind of just assumed that those people were lying. And, I mean, they, they might have been. But actually, this incredible archaeological evidence is, is coming out that's completely shifting the way we see the Amazon. So it turns out the kind of the headline-grabbing uh, title is that actually the Amazon isn't wilderness the Amazon was inhabited by huge populations, urban in urban environments almost, of indigenous people who were importantly cultivating the Amazon. So the Amazon didn't just kind of spring up completely uh, as, as it looks right now. Someone planted it. It's a great big yes! field that somebody's planted. It's mad. There's actual... Indigenous people had gardens and orchards and, and like even the Brazil nut trees, they were planted. And suddenly you're like... What? But also, you know, that's interesting because it makes you think, well, hold on a second. Um, we're not only destroying the forest, but we've also destroyed, you know, so many of the people there because there was a 90% population crash when outsiders turned up because, sadly, indigenous people in the Amazon didn't have immunity to outside diseases. So essentially, in this show, we go on this crazy kind of archaeological adventure <laughs> where we go around four countries in the Amazon, so Brazil, Peru, Colombia and Bolivia, and we just we look at all this incredible research that these archaeologists are doing showing like site upon site upon site these crazy discoveries um, and at the same time we're meeting all these incredible indigenous groups along the way and these tribes that are really just kind of fighting for their survival so it's, it's kind of a bit of a mad show it's kind of just really unexpected and I hope it kind of challenges the way we see the Amazon Describe to me the, uh, the most standout moment from that trip, describe oh my what God. happened There were so many there were just so many but I think I think there were times when I was like very, very sad, and there were times when I was just ecstatic um, and just like, I can't believe I'm here, this is insane. I've just seen the most incredible, you know, rock art, or I've just seen these huge, crazy structures in the landscape that these indigenous people were making. But I think um, actually it was was usually meeting the indigenous people themselves that was pretty intense and just kind of wonderful. Um, But also, as I say, 
it's really intense. At one point, um, we met this one indigenous group called the Surawi, and I mean, they are in a fight for their survival. Their chief used to have armed guards with him. That's how bad it was. Um, and he, he even teamed up with Google Earth at one point so he could protect um, uh, their uh, reserve and all the rest of it. Um, and we met him because the DNA from his tribe has been really, really fascinating. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's kind of brought up all these interesting connections and blah, blah, blah. So I was going to meet him to talk to him about this. And I meet the whole tribe and it turns out, oh my God, it was so upsetting. It was episode two. <laughs> it turns out... Um, the DNA that all of us have been using, like all these geneticists, all these scientists have been using all around the world, was taken without permission, without consent, and they are really upset about it. Um, and they were, you know, they were kind of detailing what happened. Like these scientists came in and just like took their blood and said to them, um, oh, we're doing this for your benefit, you'll have all these health benefits, blah, blah, blah. Nobody has even, since then, not a single scientist has contacted that indigenous, this was like over 20 years ago, has not bothered to contact them to tell them anything. And I was like, oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> this is, that's just wrong on so many levels. And how did they, were they angry at you? How did they I mean, receive you? They, it was like a mix of upset and anger at the world, I guess. Um, they were so polite with me. I mean, you know, I guess I represented Western science to them or outside science to them. But they weren't in any way rude to me or anything. But they were just, you know, they were really hurt. Um, uh, the chief's mum is like 98 or something and she's just sitting in a hammock and she's just looking at me going, they just took it, they just took it without asking. Like they, you know, and it's just like... Took their blood. Oh, don't, mate, it's so, it's so twisted. And you just think, oh, my... And the thing is, that's not the only... It's interesting because I was talking to um, one or two genetics professors and there was a time when that was just done. And it's still, in some places we suspect that it's still happening that scientists are just going in and taking blood and That'd just be terrifying because you wouldn't you know there's these people in that you, no. you've never seen people looking like them they're pinning you down they're taking strapping no. something on your arm sticking a needle in you if you don't know what's happening that's actually a very no, scary know, experience know, and it's just and you're not you know and then you're not you're not and the thing that shocked me was that tribe's dna i'm not kidding has made headline news a number of times and it made headline news just two years ago i think it was because of a connection with australian aborigines oh really that's so, fascinating you know, so any kind of nerd on the street is kind of vaguely familiar with, you know, and these guys have no idea. Nobody's told them. Did you, uh, what are they, how are they living? What do they live in and what were you staying in? Yeah, so it kind of, every, every tribe's really, and, or indigenous group, it kind of, it depends um, how you want to call them, um, kind of, they all live very differently. So some of them are really kind of off the beaten track. Um, some of them are in kind of, you know, kind of the housing that you'd see in the area. It's very, it's every, every tribe's very different. Um, this particular group, they live in our reserve. The reserve is really clearly demarcated. It's constantly being attacked by loggers. Um, and they, there's individual villages in there. Um, and it's much more traditional. Um, and so, you know, you've kind of got that um, kind of that centrepiece where it's, it's like the whole village kind of come into the centre and it's like open. Um, it's kind of covered, but um, not, not side covered. And everyone just is in that middle section. Um, but, you know, honestly, I mean, there were other, there was like one indigenous group we went to and I just, it was so funny because the production, we all just looked at each other and we were like, uh, they've all got like huge cars. They're all, like, it's not, we need to be really careful about the way we portray these guys because actually it, it's not, 
you know, it's almost like they wander in that. They're not wandering around in a loincloth. All no, the time. they're not. They're not. And it was quite funny because they did come out at one point in loincloths, and I and I was like, "Why are you doing this?" And they were like, "Well, we want to show you this dance." <laughs> and they and I think they th- thought that that's what the tourists wanted. That's what we wanted to see. And it was really uncomfortable because it was like, "Well, if you want to show us this, by all means, do." But mate, I've just seen your mop. Like, do you know what I mean? You're clearly also very industrialised, so don't don't feel the need to, to not be who you are around us, which is very difficult when there's cameras around. And do you, do you portray that? Do you? So um, I'm anal about this stuff. So if I see that kind of thing, I will really, really push hard for us to be more accurate about the way we portray that group. Definitely. You want to yeah. see it how it is and yeah. you want to tell it how it is. Otherwise, yeah. you're you're fabricating something rather than a journalist. I know you're technically not a journalist, but you're doing journalistic work no, as no, no. an this archaeologist. Is, this is it. Exactly. I mean, you know, you are right. And I think, sadly, it's something not all television presenters understand is we're not journalists. <laughs> yeah. You know, like journalists are amazing and uh, we're not that. <laughs> Um, well, I'm technically a journalist, but I'm only doing this, so I'm not really no, a but major travel journalism is a definite thing, like, you know. But it's also it's a similar kind of fact-checking, all the rest of it. But I think, I think we do have to abide by some of those, um, you know, things. The problem is, of course, once something gets cut in the end, do you know, it can end up Yeah, you don't looking, have the influence over it, Yeah, do and you? it doesn't always look in the same, you know, I would have loved a few more, like, in our pre-titles, that's like our promo for the whole show, I personally would have liked a few more clips of Indigenous people in kind of normal, not normal, but kind of more... What we um, see as normal yeah, yeah, settings. Exactly, yeah, more exactly. Western settings, which is a bad way of... Yeah, no, 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 yeah. I know, wording is... Yeah, <laughs> stuff. developed um, words, and you're yeah. like, no, it's all, it's all wrong, isn't it? <laughs> in their cars, let's just no, say no, in their no, cars. Exactly. Like to see Indigenous people in their cars. No, I, and I really, really lobbied for it hard but uh, and I, I understand it. it didn't by the time it was finished it just there was a it just it wasn't quite um working but i think it's really really important that you know if if we present these kind of shows i mean that's such an incredible uh, boost for me so why would i not try to make sure that i'm doing i'm doing the research and i'm trying to portray people accurately and even then people will still get upset with me and annoyed with me and, and some of those comments i'll kind of try to push back on and some of those comments are like, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> so there was a BBC gig. Tell us about that. That's another fascinating journey. So you've got these two shows coming out in, um, in the next... Yeah, on the same, now, on really. two days apart. Yeah. Very, one day apart. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically, yeah, so that is a natural history show. And it's just... It's, it's a natural history show set in Tanzania with Chris Packham um, and basically we put a waterhole into the Tanzanian bush and just rig it with cameras and see who turns up. So it's just full of like really charismatic, gorgeous African animals, you know, just just kind of those iconic, iconic species. Um, and it's just, it's a, it feels very different to the other show. I don't know if you've seen kind of clips of both, but it's um, one is kind of just good old natural history escapism. Just sit there and just, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. Even trying to do a voiceover for that show would kill me because I'd just turn into a teenage girl because these animals are so gorgeous. I love the way you... Oh, God, I'm going to use a long word here. I love the way you anthropomorphise oh, them yeah. and say that they're charismatic They, they just animals. are. They are. I'm sorry. I'm sure some people would be annoyed about that, but I'm like, they are just... I mean, they're so endearing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and then I'm almost looking at seeing like Madagascar, you know, like with the uh, no, no, oh, that's actually what I had. My, well, you know, you say that, but actually, um, so one of the cameramen that we had on the show is Bob Paul, and his his sister is Joyce Paul, who's like this really famous elephant researcher who's actually like developed the elephant dictionary. Oh, I'm 
not kidding. So she there's an elephant dictionary. Oh, it's amazing, right? So she's actually like um, deciphered all these different mannerisms and what they mean from the elephants. And it's so good that she like if an elephant charges her, she knows if the elephant is actually charging or if he's having fun or if he's taking you know. And she really thinks they have a sense of humour. Like she can tell by the well, different they're just ways like they're freaking the hell out of you. I'm just going to run at this person, make them spit for their life. No, no, no. She, she. There was one case where she was like, oh no, no, that's he's he's messing with us. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need her on the podcast. I know. Her, don't I? <laughs> She's amazing. She's in Kenya though, so yeah. <laughs> I can go to Kenya. Oh, I'm not allowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the world's closed. I mean, yeah, you might need to give it a few weeks, but um, yeah, no. Gosh, so you've got so much going on, and um, we don't have that much time left. But I'd love to. I don't know. Like, what else can I ask you about your travels? Like, where have you? Where have you? been <laughs> where, have, where been? have you been no that's not a good story you know what? no you know what because the thing is i know right now people are going to be a bit um you know about travel full stop so i'll just say in the summer i, I basically relocated because i lost it i completely lost it <laughs> I, I was looking back through your social media posts yeah. and they were getting a little bit desperate <laughs> pictures of your garden in london <laughs> i don't think we all we could all relate to that so I ended up in a full-blown, like, um, long-term war with the local squirrel. I was just like, you are ruining my life and my bird feeders and all my plants. It's just absolutely hilarious. No, um, yeah, no, I, I I, think, and I know I'm really, really lucky to, because it's so funny, because um, it's kind of like, it's like how much of a... A privileged so and so can you be for you to be like oh my god I, I can't travel in the same way that I know no, I know but we've like, all got you know our own woes and mental health issues I'm not saying you have mental health issues but you know we all had a certain amount of mental health yeah. stress um, over the pandemic and we still have and it's that old adage about some of us we're all in the same boat we're not all in the same boat because some people are in dinghies without yeah, yeah. you know oars and some people are in yachts but, no, but it, it doesn't take away the fact that it is yeah. for everyone it is yeah, personal yeah. You know, even not being able to go out and socialise, it yeah, really affects yeah, yeah. some people. No, 100%. But I think I think there is an element of just, you know, I've been so lucky, um, like yourself, to kind of to lead a life where I'm, you know, I'm out constantly. I mean, you know, it was getting to the point where I was, I'm really only normally in London for about a week or two a month. So it's kind of, you know, I really am just kind of out a lot. Um, and suddenly all my TV shows got cancelled and suddenly all my travel became unethical to put it bluntly you know and so I was like crap I had you know even my expeditions got cancelled like everything just went out the window and it was kind of in the summer as we were coming out of lockdown I looked at my housemate and went you know what I don't think I'm going to make a second lockdown because I knew there was going to be a second lockdown we all kind of like unless we were deluding ourselves we all knew there was going to be a second lockdown and possibly even a third yeah thing. yeah this is the thing and I was like I don't think I can handle a second lockdown if I don't leave like and and I think partly that was my mental health in the sense that London is too I, I there's no green spaces and we and I keep saying this we know scientifically the data is overwhelming that green spaces really do wonders for our mental health and cities are wonderful but we're just not we weren't designed for them you know we haven't evolved for them it's funny because I always argue about uh, about London being one of the greenest cities I know but I, I suppose it depends where you live and I was living here up until three months ago yeah. and I was near Greenwich Park and the river so it, it's probably slightly different no I mean 100% it's just that I'm talking like proper just green you know just like constantly yeah you're right you'd be like the remote, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, I'm used to you Greenwich Park. I mean? You've been trekking in the Amazon. I suppose it's a little bit different. I'm just like, it needs to be real wilderness. There needs to be no farming anywhere nearby. No, we don't have that much wilderness in London no. or, or no, even all beyond. the UK. Um, I think we're UK. quite, you know, we're quite um, Scotland managed. Possibly. Yeah, Scotland's mm. amazing. No, so so I ended up in the Swiss Alps. Um, so I ended up there for like two months. It's this. Um, it's, it's this, so everybody kind of knows that uh, French, German, Spanish, no, French, German and uh, Italian. Italian are spoken in uh, Switzerland. What a lot of people don't know is this fourth language called Romanish, which is basically like Latin. And that's spoken just in this one enclave. Um, and so it just... A way to make it difficult for yourself. <laughs> I know. Well, actually, think about it. It's perfect. Because suddenly I'm like, I can't literally can't speak any language. <laughs> like, but it was just, and it's just such an incredible part of the world. But also Switzerland, I feel, is just a caricature of itself. It is beautiful. It is. Yeah. It's like a chocolate box, isn't it? It's, it's mad. But then it's got other random. I've spent quite a lot of time in Switzerland. But then it's the, the gun issue is like kind of. You don't expect the gun issue. It is strange because I was like, you know, going on my daily hikes and my mate in the neighbouring hamlet because that is literally what we were dealing with. <laughs> neighbouring hamlets um, was like, uh, you're not going out in that, are you? And I was like, I was just like, hello, it's hunting season. You need to be wearing red. And like, and I was just trying to adjust my head for like, oh, Europe hunting season what huh because it's not something we normally think about what do you mean you need to be wearing red to, to stand out so you don't get shot yeah, so normally i'm just in like <laughs> north face like do you know what i mean just, just like dark kind of like whatever colors you know but suddenly that's actually quite dangerous if you're going on a walk in the middle of um the swiss alps in hunting season because she's like look some of these hunters are kind of you know they're drinking they're you know they're all just she's like every year we have a number of reported incidents she's like you need to wear red and i was like oh <laughs> it's just really funny it's like oh okay i really wasn't expecting this <laughs> so, i'm not used to guns in this <laughs> anywhere near home to, no you're used to guns in far-flung places no um very uh, briefly then gosh tell me about your stand-up career because you're also an archaeologist and a stand-up yeah um, that's just i needed to do that for myself i think i some of the places i go are a bit dark it, it all can be a bit dark I mean, they're wonderful, but they can be dark. Um, and I just needed to laugh again, you know. Um, and uh, and it's just, it's a really, really good way of doing things. But also it's a great way of communicating science. It's a great way of communicating politics and different things. And I don't think I would have the telly jobs that I've got if it wasn't, because it's, you know, it's so difficult to get some of those things if it wasn't for the fact that people were like, oh, you know what, she's, she's an adventurer, she's a scientist, she works in hostile places and she's a comic do you know what like, I think there's an element of going alright let's, let's give her yeah. a go let's give her a go <laughs> we've got to see what she's like yeah because <laughs> she might be able to handle you know the you know because there is a bravado that's almost needed and I hate it you know it's, it doesn't bring out the best in you sometimes but it's almost needed for television um so yes, yeah, so I think it stood me in good stead. I have to say, and it's, it's just it, you have to must, it must have like a, a tremendous amount of confidence. I think because I go on TV and radio, but I'm terrified of public speaking. Yeah. So the thought of getting up in front of a, an audience that you know can be quite hostile at times, yeah, uh, and, and telling jokes like terrifies the hell out of me. Yeah, and it's just you up there. It's not like sketch or anything else. It's like it's just you. So you, the success is all yours, and the failures are all yours. And you, you fail. Do you know what I mean? You properly, you are used to dying. That. You know, I did Edinburgh, uh, not, not obviously not during COVID, but um, the Edinburgh Fringe just just the year before COVID. And it's like, you know, you just sit there and you're like, it just literally sometimes the exact same material the very next day in exactly the same, same, same time slot, 
received completely differently. And you just, you got to get used to it. It's just like... It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just, you just accept that you might die some days. I, I think, you know, I, I draw parallels between your adventuring and stand-up yeah. comedy. I can see that it's actually, it's not such a, a great leap from one to the other. <laughs> Yeah, you're not the only one that said that. It's like, eh, would you rather die on stage or at the hands of a terrorist? <laughs> so, so, I need you to think about that. Can I make the terrorist last, but laugh first? <laughs> that would be. Could you jokes? imagine? You know, you get these stories of like making somebody fall in love with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sort of uh, uh, what's it? A Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. But instead, I just perform really well. <laughs> yeah. If or just perform badly, they'll let you out early. It's like we're not kidnapping her. Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, well, can I turn it around and ask, what are you planning to do? Like, you know, because you're part of the same world. What's, do you have any sense of what your next trip would be like? You're asking me. Yeah, because I think... Yeah, but I'm not part of the same world. I'm a traveller. I've travelled lots, but my travelling has been um, holidays. And yeah, but it's, it's still, it's, you know, you, I mean, you know, you are part of this world. I mean, what? Sorry. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a no, very strange way of putting you're it. Used to. Um, no, but I mean, okay, I'm not, because I'm not talking about telly and, and kind of non telly. I'm talking about just kind of those of us who rely on the outdoors and it, it, it kind of really comes into our work and it is part of our work. You know, I feel like as a community, we're all a bit lost right now. So that's why I kind of I'm saying, and so you. (laughs) I I felt trapped. um, But it's funny how that entrapment has changed things around. And we were saying that, you know, today is the first day we've actually seen people, really. And and we're here in the Natural History Museum. We're in London. And it's I I was very miserable and find it a real struggle, particularly as my family are in Spain. And I I go to Spain a lot. lot. I've got a place there. I grew up there. I love the lifestyle. And it's home for me. It's my escape. It's my sanctuary and I, I used to just getting on a plane and hopping over there yeah. and having that taken away has been has been really hard however it's changed my perspective and I don't know if you're finding this do you know how excited I was to get on a train today <laughs> to get on the tube for my first time since March and bearing in mind up until uh, July I lived in London full time and yeah. had been here for years and years yeah. to get on a tube to look and see there's a cafe open down the road after this yeah. I'm going to go I'm going to find a pub that'll let me in or I might have to stand outside. I'm going to see some shops. I'm going to see a London. And it's really turned... So it has almost in a way, and I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, that that sort of narrowing of my horizons has made me just appreciate the little things so much more. Oh, that's that's really sweet. It's just made me a bit warm and a little bit goosebumpy. Um, No, I think... I think so. I think it's like, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like quite a few of us are going, oh, we're going to do this, you know, this is going to be our next dream one and we just can't wait to do it. But actually, I do, I do find some people as well are saying exactly what you've said, which is, oh my God, I'm just appreciating the little things again. Like, just, just grateful. And in some ways, I think you've, you're probably, your attitude is much better. <laughs> It's not something I'm choosing to do, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just it's just happened to me. And yeah. do you know how much it's going to be, you know, I'm going to eat in a restaurant tonight. And do you know how much of an adventure that is going to be to eat in a restaurant? <laughs> a substantial meal in a, a restaurant. Meal. Not even a scotch egg, Ella. I'm going to go, I'm going to have, I mean, I haven't eaten meat for 20 years, but sod it, I'd have a scotch egg to get me into a pub. Give me the pig, you know, sorry, piggy. <laughs> Anyway, I should I should ask you my last question, and um, so I can get to the pub. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we're not running out of time at all. No, we are. We are but um, uh, my last question is always about music, mm. and because I think music and travel go very much hand in hand, so I'm going to ask you to choose one song that reminds you of a memorable time or place of travel, 
And what is that song and what is the memory? Why, why are you remembering it? Oh, um... No, it's a goodie, isn't it? It is. Oh, man. Your, your listeners are going to judge me. Um, <laughs> OK. So, I, uh, I started listening to a lot of Lizzo. Um, and I started listening to it because my professional life was going amazingly well. And I started to realise certain things about my private life. Yeah. So reading between the lines, I, I just started dating somebody who's, who's wonderful and starting to realise the extent of damage of, an, of another ex. And I was listening to Lizzo and I was travelling at the same time. And it was just, it was kind of this shift in my personal life. And it was so funny because I feel, feel like the whole of my um, career and people at the outside see this. I don't, you know, for me, it's a constant bloody struggle. But people are like, oh, it's going amazing. And, you know, like this week, people are like, hold on a second. You've got two major shows on UK uh, channels this, this Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. And it all looks great. But my personal life, I guess, I hadn't quite, you know, I wasn't taking that same kind of respect for myself, you know, and kind of whatever. Um, and so suddenly it just she that power in that voice with that travel like through the Amazon or with that travel in Tanzania because it was I was just listening to it on repeat um, or, you know her kind of um, her songs on repeat um, and so yeah so I, it's a weird one to say but I, I don't know if that music is usually taken on its own and in this particular case it was like a mix of music travel and realigning kind of the, my attitude to my professional life and my attitude towards my personal life yeah. and I love it that travel and music has that power yeah, yeah 100% funny enough I had Levison Wood on the podcast and I remember asking him he, he spoke I don't know what his status is now this is like maybe 18 months ago but at the time he was he was saying that how he's sort of neglected his personal life yeah. because of all the travels and yeah. I think I kind of proposed to him but I was married at the time myself, <laughs> so and I'm, you know I'm single now I should give him a call <laughs> Well, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, I think... So, I, like, I too am single right now, and it's kind of like, it's the worst time to be single. It's, it's so funny. The amount of times where I was like, oh, for God's sake, I should have, like, thought this through before, like, going into a pandemic single. Um, but, no, I think, um, yeah, I think it, it is, it, it's a funny one how a lot of us just... I, I think we just prioritise other stuff. But I don't know if it is, even is that. I think we just travel too much, so we're not in... We're not around, you know, we're not loitering enough. You should maybe give Levison Wood a call. He's an attractive guy. <laughs> so I don't think we'd quite... Like, we're actually, we're chummy. We're very chummy. But, um, but no, I was going to say, actually, um, when I was in the Swiss Alps, this is to, to hit home with the problem with a lot of us in this world, I turned around to my mate and I was like, but there's just no men here. And my mate was like, you think you've decided to spend two months in the middle of a village in the Swiss Alps with nobody under the age of 60, Ella? <laughs> what did you expect would happen? And I was like, huh, yeah, I guess you do have a point. <laughs> and then, unless you're wearing reds, they might shoot you. <laughs> I, to be fair, some of the hunters were very handsome. <laughs> I was like, oh. All right, next holiday lined up. Ella, thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you so much for being the best listeners and Ella for being a wonderful face-to-face -face interview. The Big Travel Podcast will be back very soon with the Christmas special with a whole host of wonderful guests for you.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.